Well, few things matter in life perhaps as much as clear priorities, and I would say even so much more today. Understanding and having clarity around our priorities is paramount. And we learned this from an early age. In fact, we're going to see our kids and your grandkids, nieces and nephews, their priorities will be tested in just a couple days when they have to decide which candy they will eat first. Will it be the Snickers bar, the Twizzlers, the, the Airheads, the Twix? And the wise ones we are will guide them in their priorities and say, no, it's the whatchamacallit and the Almond Joy. At least those are what I steal out of my kids' baskets before they have an opportunity to see what they have received. But it might begin there, but as we journey on in life, we just know that the value of priorities becomes all the more important. Perhaps you remember the famous story that Stephen Covey tells in his book, First Things First, where he says he's attending a seminar and the instructor of the seminar pulls out a large jar and pulls out a, a large um, sack of fistful rocks, and he looks at those in the audience and says, how many rocks do you think can fit in this jar? And people start shouting out all kinds of answers, and he goes, well, let's see. And he starts putting in the big rocks one by one, and then when it's all the way up to the top, he says, is the jar full? And everyone says, yes. He goes, is it? And then he pulls out a bag of gravel. And he starts pouring that and shaking the jar and the gravel works itself down into those big rocks. And then he asks again, is the jar full? And catching on a little bit, the audience says, probably not. And then he pulls out a bag of sand and he pours sand now in the jar and shakes it and the sand starts working itself in and he asks the crowd again, is the jar full? And this time, just out of reflex, they say, no. He says, good, and he pulls out a pitcher of water and then pours water into the jar. And then he asks them this question, what is the point? And one person raises their hand and says, if we just work really hard, we can find that there are little nooks and crannies of space and time in our lives that we can always jam more stuff into our life. And I think a lot of us, me included, live like that. The instructor says, no, that's not the point. The point is, if you do not start with the big rocks, if you do not put the big rocks in first, you will never be able to fit them in later. You have to clarify the priorities of your life. And we can see those applications in so many ways. If you flip your booklet, and if you don't have one, please take one out of the pews. You are welcome to those. To page 42, you will see rocks similar to the one I just held up, and I think a great exercise to do is to think about what are the big rocks, the priorities in my life right now? Not what they should be, but what are the big rocks driving my life, the priorities of my life right now? I know as I think about that, I'm thinking you know, are the key relationships, are they a big rock in my life? Is it my core beliefs and values? Are those getting the proper place first in my life? Are, are the God-sized goals that he wants to do in and through me, are those one of the big rocks in my life? Or is it something else? Because you see, prioritizing is deciding 
what is going to get the first and the best of your life? Jesus says, and you can help me complete this, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And he goes on to say, in all of this, everything else will shake itself out and work in your life if you seek first the kingdom of God. In Genesis 13, we see a moment of choice and priorities show up in the life of Abraham and his nephew Lot. And I think they have a lot to teach us. So uh, listen to this story in Genesis 13. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev, the southern part of the land of Cana, with his wife and everything he had. Abram, Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support both of them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. So Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Let's part company. And if you go to the left, I will go to the right. If you go to the right, I will go to the left. Now I want you to pay close attention to what happens next because what it reveals are two different individuals with two different sets of priorities based on how they view success. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zoar was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. So Lot chose for himself the plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. Abraham then lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now, I have to confess, if I'm Lot in that moment, doing pretty well in life, and you're given the choice between a rugged, rough, mountainous territory or a lush, beautiful land filled with valleys and hills and thriving cities, I would probably have gone to the east as well. You probably would have thought about going to the east as well, especially since over that way is this amazing city called Sodom with glamorous people and a rocking nightlife. It was the happening place with all of this other benefit lying around it. I can imagine Lot thinking how awesome it would be when he sends his Christmas card back to his friends back in Ur. Well, actually, we're we're about 2,000 years away from Christmas cards in this story. Actually, we're probably 3,000 years. So anyway, you're, you're with me. You're tracking with me. When he sends his holiday card back to the people in Ur, how impressed they would be of the selfie of him in Sodom and like all of his herds and the green plains behind him. You could just see how he could be bragging about how he's made it and how he's thriving. Lot prioritized self-interest and comfort and security and perhaps the admiration of others. It's what we normally call material wealth. It's what material wealth can afford us in this life. Now, I want to be clear, wealth is not a bad thing. In fact, when guided by God, it could be a very desirable thing. Some of the most generous, some of the, the, the strongest disciples I know are wealthy individuals. And they've learned to give God first things. They've learned to be generous in so many ways. You know, the, the famous 
uh, English evangelist John Wesley said, earn as much as you can, save as much as you can, invest as much as you can, give as much as you can. The biblical worldview emphasizes this idea of personal responsibility, of hard work, of character, integrity, using our creativity. Those things, when deployed, have the opportunity to bring flourishing in our lives. Wealth is a good thing until it becomes priority number one, until it becomes the first rock, the biggest rock that we put into the jar of our life, until it becomes the primary definition of our success. In that case, the weight of wealth can tilt us. It can direct our paths into one of two ditches. It can lead us into the ditch of self-centeredness, where it's all about me. Isn't it interesting, the largest generation we have right now is dubbed the me generation. Or it can pull us on the other side of the road to another ditch of self-sufficiency where we really don't need anyone or anything because we're able to take care of ourselves and if we dare to admit it, we can even sometimes get to the place where we say we don't even maybe need God. We don't need to live by faith because we have everything that we need. To be both wealthy and wise requires this continual seeking of God and it demands that we continue to strengthen the roots of our lives in him. We don't get a sense that Lot deployed this kind of wisdom because in the story he seems to answer pretty quick. It's almost like Abram can't even get the words out and Lot's like, sweet. He's like packing up his stuff and he's directing his herders to start heading over to the east. He doesn't, it's almost like he barely gets the thank you out as he's already heading in that direction. In other words, he chooses to root his life and the life of his family and the priorities that look perhaps a little bit more like Sodom and the self-centeredness and self-sufficiency, the self-indulgence, the self-entitlement. And I believe Lot, I think Lot was a devout man. I think he's under the influence of Abram who has this deep faith. I think that would have leaked onto Lot. And I think he probably believed that the strength of his own faith and that of his family, like they could overcome. That's why he plants himself near Sodom. He wants to be near the action, right? A little self-protective. But he thinks he and his family will be okay. They can resist the temptations. But watch what happens. In chapter 13, Lot lives near Sodom. In chapter 14, he's living in Sodom. And then by chapter 19, he's the most influential man of Sodom. And when his family finally comes to its senses and realize this is not a good deal, we need to get out of here, the pull of Sodom even takes his wife, who becomes a pillar of that community, literally. And not the kind of pillar, the salt pillar, that's the salt of the earth kind of stuff that Jesus says. She just could not resist the pull of what had the big rocks that have accumulated in her life. So if we were to be real, we would have to say that no matter where we go, there are, there's the pull of Sodom around us, even in the western suburbs. There's dangerous influences in our culture and in our towns and cities everywhere we go. I mean, I know faithful followers who have been called away to these strange lands of Green Bay or Cleveland. But thanks be to God, they have not worshipped or become fans of any of those teams. 
we may need a little like God intervention, Sodom and Gomorrah stuff to happen in Cleveland here in the next little bit, but that's next week's sermon. We'll see how it all turns out. Dan can tackle that one. You know, but I know the pull of Sodom in our lives, and, and to me it kicks up questions. And this morning we want to like peel back those layers, like let's really wrestle with some of the gut-wrenching questions that if we're brave enough, we just have to face and answer. Questions like, does having a lifestyle that requires us, that demands us to work the amount of time, the hours, and the intensity that we do to support this lifestyle, is that a greater value than barely knowing our families? Of having this fragmentation within our home, is, is that definition of success worth the price that we pay? Or is it wise to care more about the games our kids play, the trophies they amass, the college, the prize college that they go into that looks really good on a resume? Is that more important than them actually knowing and walking with God and having an eternal destiny that makes God just rejoice? Or is it being a leading citizen of Sodom, being a main player, a key player in the game of, of culture's game? Is that... Is that more satisfying than being a leader, a lead member in a local church? I can tell you I struggle with these pulls at times. I've made my own bad choices. I've I've felt the pull of that self-centeredness or self-sufficiency. I mean, we faced it even with the advanced commitment night, having going forward in a way that we know would just shake us and change us was not an easy thing to do, but It was laced with this sense of just joy and freedom when we clarified what the big rocks and priorities were for us and our family. Think about if you were able to shape hundreds, even thousands of lives of people who come into our homes, our schools, our workplaces, our churches in our region, and we could help them love and live more like Jesus. What if you were able to help extend new branches of vitality of local churches all over America who's losing its moral vision and forgetting God? What if you could make sure that under-resourced kids and students in Roosevelt Road Corridor did not drop out of school and were saved from a life of crime? What if you could help a community in Africa rise out of poverty to begin to flourish that started to touch the towns and the villages even all around it. Would that feel like success and significance for you? Friends, the Take Root Initiative offers all of that and more. Back to Abraham. It's clear that Abraham first and foremost prioritized the kingdom of God in his life. If you would go back and read the story, you would see this, that Abraham, when he entered the land of Canaan, he built an altar of, to the Lord and he worshiped God there. And then when he returned again, he came back to that same altar where he prayed and he sought the guidance of the Lord. That was his first big rock, following, trusting, prioritizing the kingdom of God in his life. He was saying to God, you are my first priority. How can I honor you? Where it is, what is it you want me to do? Where is it you want me to go in this season, in this era of life? Next, Abraham, we see, prioritizes others. He said the lot, you take the land. You decide which way to go. I will take what's left over. 
You know, Abram didn't have to do this. He was the elder of the family. By right, everything was under his control. And under normal circumstances, he would have chosen what was best for him and his family and, and divvied up the rest to others. But, but Abraham does something very unusual. God's first. I'm going to make others second. I'm going to take third place. And we see him doing that. It sounds a little crazy. I mean, I, I think, is that something I can truly do? I hope so. I, I'm working at it. God first, others second, myself in third. The amazing thing, because those were Abraham's priorities, what we find is that God actually prioritizes Abraham. We find him never going without what he needs for very long, if at all. And in fact, God actually expands his capacity far beyond those, the normal people in his area. And the reason why God did this is that God said, Abraham, I want to bless you so that you will be a blessing for others. Abraham got it. You know, it reminds us also of the story of Cain and Abel. If you were to go earlier, a few chapters earlier in Genesis, those two famous brothers who give their offering, Abel gives of the first fruits. He takes the, the choice lambs, the first lambs, and he, he sacrifices them to God, which was risky. Because depending how those lambs turn out, like he may not be guaranteed a future, the growth of his herds and stuff to come, but he gives God first. Cain, on the other hand, gives a grain offering. And grain is not bad, except the harvest had already come in. Cain knew all that he had, and he was able to secure himself, and then he gave God what was left over. And it disgusted the Lord. I have had to learn this priority. I'm thankful that I feel like our family has learned this priority because I can tell you twice a month the first fruits of each check we get goes to our local church here. And it's brought this strange sense of freedom because now our conversations are not, oh, will we or should we? That's set. Now we get to even talk about how do we go even further? How do we expand to be a blessing to others through other missions or other initiatives or opportunities or just needs of those around us? And I feel God wants us to go even further. But it's hard. And I know some of you, in fact, I've had these conversations say, but Eric, you don't understand our circumstances. You know, I'm, I'm commission-based, or most of my income comes at the year end when we see how everything turns out. And I get that. But you've also bought house and cars, and you've planned for many other things. Maybe our faith life should be one of those first things as well. In fact, that's the big theological word that the Bible puts on it, faith, that we commit the first fruits before they even come. God says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled with overflowing and your vats will brim with new wine. You know, you may want to write a couple questions down if you haven't already in your little study guide, page 41. Just a couple questions to reflect on this next week. One like this. Who or what do I put first in my decision making? It's a big rock question. What are my big rocks? Is it the admiration of people? Is it my comfort and security? Maybe it's this sense of control or some anxiety that just dominates how I make my decisions. Tim Keller said, you know, everyone tithes gives the first of themselves to some God. 
And that to summarize, he'd say money is not an idol. It just tells us where our idols are. Jesus says, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So that question is, what does your life tell you now about what you are treasuring? That can be a hard question, a deep question, but it's a good question to wrestle with. Second, what would it look like for God to get the first and best of your life? The time, the talents, the treasures, the influence, all that God has given you, what would it look like for him to get the first and the best without question? I often think if I truly love God and love others, why would I not invest the best of what I have into the best hope and future for this world? Finally, you may ask, do I want to be known as a storer or a steward of blessing? God was clear with Abraham why he was blessing him. He goes, I'm blessing you so that you can be a blessing to others. And Abraham got it. Abraham took it to heart. It is why when it came time to choose which portion of the land he would take, he, you know, remember his wealth, these large herds? He gives someone else an opportunity to be blessed. He lets Lot choose and is content to go the other direction. A sign of Abraham's growing maturity is that he lived more for the sake of others than perhaps he did for himself. Lot did not. We know that he was all about seeking and storing and securing. And as someone else has quipped, they said, get all you can, can all you can, then sit on your can. (laughs) That was perhaps Lot's approach. But God says, if you want a life that's truly blessed, if you want to really get in the game, he says, see yourself not as a container, but as a conduit. Not as a reservoir, but a river of blessing that I want to do through you. You see, whatever you prioritize ahead of God, you will lose in the end. God says it will be so. It will all get burned up. But when we prioritize the first things, the best things, in the name of God, and we follow God's lead, it leads to blessing, to generations, and even for eternity to come.